Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm the senior pastor here at Belmede. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us today. I want to say hello to those of you who are joining us online as well. We're so glad that you're here, and we hope that you'll interact with Rachel, our online pastor. I wanted to make sure everybody knows that uh, for the Wednesdays in July during this sermon series, Rachel is going to be going live on Facebook at 7 p.m. in our community group. And so if you are not a part of the Bellmead UMC community group, all you have to do is pull out Facebook, Google, there's like a search bar at the top, put Bellmead UMC community, and you can ask to join and be a part of those Wednesday night gatherings virtually. This is a time of blessing and a time of sharing our prayer requests and praying together. So we hope that you'll engage in that uh, during this month. Today is our second Sunday in this sermon series on the Beatitudes. Uh, Many of us know that these Beatitudes come from Jesus's most famous sermon in the book of Matthew. It's chapters five through seven, and the Beatitudes kind of kick everything off. We also see that these Beatitudes are in Luke chapter six. Um, It's called the Sermon on the Plain, so I guess there was like... (laughs) some mix up on whether it was a mountain or a plane. My choir isn't here to like turn and like maybe they'll laugh, you know? Elizabeth is still here. And so I invite you this month to read it. Read it in both Matthew and in Luke and, and see how these Beatitudes work in the context of the Sermon on the Mount or the plane. What is Jesus saying and why is it important? When we look at uh, the word blessing that starts these Beatitudes, uh, people say that we can actually interchange that word with some other words. So we could say fortunate or happy. Um, Some scholars say that you could say uh, blessed means you're in a privileged situation. Or even we could say well off. Well off are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God that can kind of hit us a little bit like a paradox, right? That doesn't totally make sense. Today, we might ask, how are we blessed when our, when our spirit feels low? How are the poor blessed when there's not financial or economic stability? And so we are looking at these ones that seemingly are paradoxical in nature, but make sense when we investigate what the kingdom of God is about. Last week, uh, Pastor Chris Arrear started us off in this series, and he kind of presented what I'm talking about. He's, he spoke about, blessed are, the, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who weep, for they will laugh. And he said, the blessed nature of this means like we are blessed when we allow ourselves to mourn, when we allow ourselves to grieve when we slow down, when we stop, when we uh, no longer stuff down our feelings instead of allowing ourselves to feel them, when we finally stop for our soul to catch up to itself, when we do those things, we arrive at a place of healing. When we travel through the dark wood, instead of ignoring it, we end up blessed. 
It's important to know that when we look at these different Beatitudes in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, the authors have sort of different intentions. Uh, Luke was someone who wanted us to understand that God is for the poor, God is for the oppressed, God is for the hungry. And so Luke's Beatitudes sound very literal. They speak to the very real socioeconomic conditions that people were facing. Matthew takes these and and sort of redacts them or edits them to speak more to these spiritual conditions of our hearts. And so, for instance, today, Matthew says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And it may be that some of us can relate more to being poor in spirit than to being poor. Either way, I want to start by examining the literal interpretation. Jesus could have easily have said, blessed are the literal poor. They are the ones who do not know what they will provide for themselves or their families. They are the ones who feel insecure about their livelihood. Scholars actually say that this beatitude in the book of Luke reminds us what Jesus came to do. They said it must be understood within its context, within what has already taken place in the book of Luke. And so they call us back to chapter four, just two chapters earlier, uh, to this moment where Jesus comes to his hometown of Nazareth And he enters the temple, as was his custom, and he is the one to read the scroll for that day. And the scroll uh, is this prophecy, this text from Isaiah 61. And Jesus stands up to speak in the temple. It's the very first thing that Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke. It is the first time that we hear him speak. He stands up and he says, This scripture from Isaiah 61 is fulfilled in your hearing. I am the one that it is talking about. And this is what he says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And so this beatitude is meant to reinforce what Jesus has said is his own mission. This is who he is. This is what the kingdom of God is about. Now, scholars also say that this first beatitude in Luke reinforces the actions that the disciples have already seen Jesus take. They have seen him put this beatitude into practice before he has ever spoken it out loud. And so here's an example. If you go back to Luke chapter five, which is right before uh, this beatitude in Luke chapter six, Jesus goes to a tax collector named Levi, and he calls him away from his job, and he says, come to my house and enjoy this great banquet and have a feast with me. Now, the religious leaders of the day were miffed They were like, what are you doing eating with these tax collectors and these sinners? But this is what Jesus says to them. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now remember in this time and day, tax collectors uh, were notorious for pocketing money for themselves. They were literally like taking more from the poor than they needed to. And so first, Jesus is pointing out that the sick and the sinners are not the poor. They are not the people that we might label as sick or sinners. The sick 
And the sinners are people who make money at the expense of the least. Then, in redeeming and calling Levi to be his disciple, Jesus is actually subverting the idea that tax collectors are irredeemable, while at the same time creating this economic justice for people who are already disenfranchised. Here is what I'm saying. Levi cannot take from the poor if he is a part of the kingdom of God. Because if you belong to the kingdom of God, you understand that your wealth cannot affect the least. You understand that God wants equality among all of God's people. If you belong to the kingdom of God, you understand that you have a role in making sure people who do not have security know that they are blessed by the kingdom. How can the poor be blessed? It's because the kingdom of God and everyone who claims its citizenship know that we fight for the poor. Now, I don't think that this means that Matthew's version is any uh, less valid or any more important for us to understand. You know, we talk about in the Methodist church this tension that we hold between personal holiness and social holiness. That means I'm always working on my own spirit, my own personal relationship with Jesus by engaging in scripture and praying but I'm also always working on how my faith affects my neighbors and what it does to change my community. This week I was thinking about, you know, when you go to the doctor and you have um, some pain and the doctor asks you on a scale of one to 10, what is your pain level? Sometimes they, uh, maybe only for kids now, but they give you like sad face to happy face, right? Where are you? From a low tank to a full tank, where are you? I wonder how this might apply to our spirit, to checking in on our soul. On a scale of one to 10, how is your spirit? We do this sometimes uh, in staff meetings on Monday mornings. I'm like, how's your spirit? One through 10. Like, I don't think they like it that much. And we joke sometimes because like at 9.30 in the morning, we might be a two, but after we've had like Chipotle for lunch, we're at an eight, you know? This is a way to think about. This is a moment actually that I'm asking you on a scale of one to 10, how is your spirit? You know, today I honestly feel a mix. <laughs> I feel at a 10 to be back with you to be preaching, to just be together in community after several hard weeks of um, death and, and personal loss. And I feel at a one to be back in this building without Mark Whitler. The truth is the condition of our spirits depends on the moment that we're asked. We are not any one emotion. We are not any one feeling. We are humans that vacillate along the spectrum. This passage is talking about the moments when we are at a one, when we find ourselves unable to deal with one more loss, unable to muster strength to pull ourselves together. We're talking about the moments in the pit, the moments on the floor, 
the moment when nothing is working, when your stress is at an all-time high and exhaustion is just deep in your bones. There are so many things in this world that make us poor in spirit, deflated, defeated. And so it makes sense that we say, Jesus, how can I be blessed in this condition? I think the answer is that it is precisely in the lowest of lows that we recognize our great need for God. We finally, in those moments, remember that we do not have to do everything on our own, that we can cry to God for help, that we don't have all the answers, that we can stop trying to control and contrive and bend everything to our own will. It is when we feel hollow that we finally hallow God's name and call on the holy. One of my favorite lines from a Maverick, Maverick City Music song called Isaiah's song says, the end of me is just the beginning of you, God. And I couldn't help but notice how that perfectly matched up with the message version of this text. It says, you are blessed when you are at the end of your rope because with less of you, there is more of God and more of God's rule. See, your rope may end, but God's rope never ends. The end of you is just the beginning of God. God picks up where you stop. It's like God is that relay runner that's just like waiting for you to finally pass the baton. This really came to life for me this week um, on Wednesday morning when I took my son, my five-year-old, to have uh, his third surgery. He's had a ENT issues since he was uh, 12 days old. Um, and this, is, this surgery was to remove his tonsils. And what I noticed about being there was uh, his last surgery, surgery was in September. It was shortly after he turned four, which meant he could kind of understand what was going on. But um, now that he's just turned five and he's like really old, you know, <laughs> He can understand more about what's about to take place. And so he, he had different questions like, Mommy, how do they get tonsils out? And I'm like, you know, they use magic wands, you know? <laughs> and so we're at, we're at the door. We're at that moment where he goes on without me, right? We're standing at this, like, precipice. And I look down, and my little five-year-old has tears streaming down his face because he knows this is where mommy stops and he's got to do this next part without me, right? And I, uh, so I watched, you know, as they rolled him through those doors and as many of you have experienced, it's like a piece of your heart is being ripped out as they take your child away from you. And I went back to the room and I sat down and I felt that like frantic wave of fear come over me. Like I have no control. What if this, this or that happens? There is no even opportunity for me to try to protect my child. But then I heard in my spirit that there are these moments when we have to stop and pass the baton and let somebody else hold and care for our child and moments where we have to trust that someone else has got it. 
And I think that's what Matthew is talking about. He is saying you are blessed when you realize that God is there to hold you and care for you when the task is too heavy or the job is beyond your scope and your power. You are blessed when you realize that your hollow, deflated spirit can be filled with the spirit of God. You are blessed when you call on him and you depend on him. You are blessed when you give way, when you step out of the way for God's rule and God's kingdom. You are blessed when you say, oh God, I really do need you every hour I need you. Thanks be to the God who comes to our side. Amen.